she pulled the trigger on polyamory, the open relationship revolution, in 1997 with the ethical slut, Janet W. Hardy, going to divulge her new book, Im, 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 Impervious, meeting Francesca Gentili, tantric priestess, founder of the Sacred Courtesan School. They are going to have their way on sexploration with Monica, sexploring the vast and deep dark reaches of shadow and light, sacred mind states, tantra, kinky sex, BDSM, making sex sacred again. And if you haven't already, go to sexplorationdinner.com for my exciting dinner in a cathedral, five-course dinner, healing, consent, and true transcendence on this episode of Sexploration with Monica. This is sex. Everyone gets what they want. This is Sexploration. Explore. Play. This is Sexploration with Monica. Sex is proof that God loves us and wants us to have fun. Sexploration with Monica at sexplorationwithmonica.com. It's another Sunday here in the Mission District. I'm sitting next to one of my partners in crime. Paul Brumba, I love you. I love you so much. Monica Thomas from <laughs> and Sexploration with Monica. so fun. The Edge of Insanity and Sexploration with Monica together. Such a fun team. You are always the best token straight guy. I am. And I... we are going to talk about some super sexy, fun, and revolutionary, radical, life-changing, spiritual, sexy, and... Dominant culture paradigm challenging shizzle. Shizzle. Ooh. Can I love you too? Yes, you do. I want to love you too. You love me already. I love you already. Introduce. (laughs) Gentilly, she is the founder of the Sacred Courtesan School. You have just done so many things. We were talking (laughs) in the car about how you're a priestess for healing at play parties, which is super sexy and fun and awesome and needed. So needed. So needed. Because when people go to play parties, there's a mask, like the cool mask, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody's wearing the sexy thing and they're like, hey, right. I'm, I'm like eminently fuckable, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. That's the mask that we have on. But underneath the mask, you know, I'll just out myself by going... <laughs> Do you like me? But do you like me? I mean, like, am I okay? Are you going to like notice that like really I'm needy? And that's like what's back there. And I feel that. And I'm like, how can I help that? How can I support people to feel like more whole really rather than have the Band-Aid experience of now that you fucked me, you've taken my pain away for about five minutes. Yeah. 15. You know. Or 15. And, Depending but, on how good the cortisols and everything. Mm, dopamine, cortisol, oxytocin, yeah. endorphins. Mm. The cocktail. All of the cocktails the cocktail. that make us really do feel good and connected, and especially oxytocin, which is the trust and bonding chemical. That's why we feel trust is because we're suddenly loaded post orgasm with all of this women more than chemical. men because testosterone <laughs> is antagonistic to oxytocin, and then you're like, oh, that explains a lot. That explains a lot. Yeah, and it explains why it has often been a attested root to cook for someone you love because the most amount of serotonin that gets released is through the gut. And Mm. serotonin is a sense of well-being. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Or possibly anyone's. Cook for me. Cook for me, baby. Actually, that's true. Anyone who cooks for me, I'm like, (laughs) oh, 
But it's also the gender role thing. Like if someone cooks for me, he's willing to let go of that part of the gender role where the woman always does the cleaning and the cooking. That to me is super hot. I was going to say, I'm the one that always does the cooking. I know. It's so sexy, Paul. There Thank you, you for doing that. Oh, you're welcome, dear, anytime. <laughs> but no, but I mean, that that's kind of where I express myself sometimes a lot right. more. Doesn't it show that somebody has a little bit more, ooh, a little bit more gzzt? Am to I it. touching your button? Yes, you did. You made me sizzle. <laughs> you were talking about sizzle. You Ooh. just did it. Uh, yeah. Right. Plug me in. Turn me on. All right. Yeah, so baby. That's what it is. I mean, isn't that just another form of expressing yourself? And actually, Penzi's has this really great way of making home-cooked food for your family. Not only is it a way to pump them full of oxytocin, but also healthy, nourishing nutrients. And you can really love people through food in some ways especially when you're getting away from the prepackaged foods and all the garbage that the corporations are putting the in processed our food. stuff all the yeah, additives and preservatives exactly. and red dye number 40 uh-huh <laughs> all of the oh we're gonna put partially hydrogenated oils and mercury and lead in high fructose corn syrup in your food getting away from that actually making our foods out of vegetables and fruits and things out of actual, actual food. food. Yeah. You know what? And, and, and I'm telling you, if you give me, don't give me partially hydrogenated. No, I want it fully hydrogenated. Go all the way. If you're going to go, go all the way. No, but they are both bad. Oh, I mean, I, know. I may I'm be kidding. partially hydrogenated is slightly better. Is that for me? Do you have something for me? Are you passing me something? I have Ooh, and it's a, pink. A pink. And it's sexy poofy. And, and I get to put it on me. Oh, I'm squeezing it now. Oh, yeah, baby. I'm giving you radio stuff so it's <laughs> radio so stuff we Paid. oh i'm sexier i'm sharing radio stuff i'm not sure i i can hear myself but that's all right mine are just way too loud here let's trade <laughs> Ooh, we're trading oh this Ooh. is good that's like that's okay. almost oh. like lingerie oh just, and i love it because even when you guys trade we get static so wow. good oh yeah that's loud you're yeah. right is that there better you go. okay all right good all right. we'll figure this out somehow yes. some, some way so somehow. do you know that women can actually trade lingerie and that's a thing it's like a sex practice? Not, like a not necessarily a sex something? practice, but like if I Being grew, frugal. I, if I outgrew like my, <laughs> right. my sexy laundry, I'd be like, oh, Monica, here, try this. It might um, fit you and look great. It's only yeah. been worn once. Well, right. and all you have to do and is And it did well. It. And it had good energy. It was like great, great experience. Oh, actually, that's true. Yeah, oh, and then I get sweet. the pleasure of like, could you try it on for me? Ooh, could I ooh. see it? Um, okay. Well, so I could see that would be almost kind of like, that is very intimate, though, it's isn't it? It's totally almost like intimate. sharing one's toothbrush. you during for just a platonic girlfriend. You could just yeah, right, like, hey, right. try this on. I think you'd like it. But let's talk about female entitlement. Let's just go there. Okay. Because women women get to do that i get to say could you try on my lingerie i get to tell you how great your tits look in it i get to hug you with delight because Because you're you're going to take it home and i feel so happy with it do men get to do this because there's so much less (laughs) they're really in homophobia (laughs) for girl on girl is much more socially acceptable than well it's not even eroticism okay so i think it's maybe i'm i'm a Product of the 60s, child of the 70s. This doesn't mean anything about sexual connotation, but we were taught as a guy that's gay. And I don't mean as in before you even knew there was such a thing as gay or that's you're being a pussy 
or oh, you're being a wimp, or you're being so. So no, I know, I know. But what I'm saying is, I know, but I just have to say that every single time you absolutely do, you absolutely do, because we have nothing weak about cunts. Some of it's very strong. Punches back. Let me tell you. But that's what I mean. A lot of guys that were of my generation definitely grew up with that. If you show any femme side. It's a sign of weakness. It's actually still oh, yeah, present. I mean, absolutely. It's, it's slowly changing across the country, but it's still out there. This sense of there's some films out there, one called The Masks We Live In. That's about the mask that men have to put on immediately to be tough, to be strong. I mean, it's still happening. And then little by little, it's being chipped away at. But then what is it? to be an empowered masculine is still in a discovery. Mm-hmm. You know, there is, let's go for gender fluid, gender queer, let's go for non-binary. But what about the cis hat, the assigned male at birth and wanting to rock that, wanting to say, yes, I want to be a male. I want to celebrate being a male. And how do I do that effectively? That's and still in a healthy way. In a healthy way. Either a rejection of manly qualities whatever the good strong manly qualities that you like that you choose instead of taking on the man box you know the unemotionally available ted porter's the... man box ted talk highly mm-hmm. recommend it exactly well even let's go back two minutes in our conversation let's go back where you were saying non-sexual girlfriends can share lingerie and go hey you know i've outgrown this or it never really fit me right but it would be perfect for you that's totally normal but i wouldn't see a guy friend coming up to me and going hey i've got these pjs but that's also because (laughs) men have fewer sexy things or even special things to wear like oh well even if they did like oh it's what's a bow tie or like oh a tuxedo or something would be his fancy pants Sure. I mean, seriously, there's not a lot because masculinity is all about being less sparkly. Well, even okay, so even more intimate. I was talking about guy PJs, and if you, when you think of guy PJs, they're definitely not lingerie half the time, mm-hmm. or, right? So, sexy yeah, things is hey, you know, I look at my friend and I go, Can I borrow those great banana hammock undies you got? Because <laughs> they're gonna grab my nuts in just <laughs> that right way, way. <laughs> and I want to present them in such a way. <laughs> <laughs> or or where did you get them? Can we talk? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> Tell me where you get those things. You know, I want it in a purple. Is not right? something that's been bequeathed oh, yeah, to masculine in our society because it's men feel like they have to earn their sexiness by sleeping with women, by providing food, money, resources, whatever the brain damage is. That's all towards that double standard exactly. where if you're, if you're a girl and you sleep with a lot of people, you're a slut. If you're a guy, you're a stud. That's how men kind of earn back their, they don't have their inherent sexiness. There just wasn't really a space for them in the culture for, for a long time. It wasn't until when was the first couple of times you saw like really sexy photos of guys? Like it didn't start happening until the 50s and 60s. Right. We weren't at all objectifying men. And I mean, not well, that there's objectification de- there's, de- there's is definitely a good been different standards. Different centuries, well, the roles of- but yes, in the modern world. 
a lot of the oh, roles have changed. Because men did wear tights, and you know, if we if we look at especially at the early legs. Renaissance, it was That's a lot true. of legs and cod pieces. And then, of course, when we look at the 1700s, the mm-hmm. men wore makeup as much makeup and wigs and heels as women. So there have been other time periods that were the velvet overground instead of the velvet underground <laughs> in various places and at various times. And of course, if we go back to Greece and the elevation of the male body, and in fact that it was normative mm-hmm. for a man to have a male lover at mm-hmm. that time. That was actually considered one of the higher forms of love. So different places at different times. But in the last, let's say, 500 years or so, there's just been so much more restriction towards what men can wear, towards how they can act with each other. And now we're coming back. We're fighting for expression. We're fighting for connection. I just heard recently, instead of saying male-female or even yin-yang, which is kind of the more tantric term, of yin being feminine flowing, yang being purposive directive, I'm hearing now agency and communion, that regardless of gender, we can have it within us, a desire for agency, which is that purposive, directive, planning, strategizing, making shit happen, or we can have that drive towards communion, which would be flowing, present, connective, slowing down. And well, and we both and, have that. And we both okay. have that. And then some yeah. people carry more of one mm. or more of another, regardless of gender. Mm-hmm. And, and it really isn't a binary, too. You can claim more of it, both of them. Hey. In different situations. Mm-hmm. Like maybe out in the world, I want to be purposive directive. But in the bedroom, could you give me a braincation? <laughs> well, yeah. Aren't we living totally. out our fantasies totally. a little bit? Can't we change the roles? Because I know... Even when I go on stage, I'm me, but I'm not me. Right. So mm-hmm. can't I play in both sandboxes a little bit? Yes. And then at the end of the day, kind of, let's say, wash my hands and say, yes. on with life. Yes. You know, I think it's all role and costume. So let's right. just try this on. It's like, okay. as, as Shakespeare said, all the world is a stage. We are yeah. but players. Right. Is that there's a role and a costume at the gym. There's a role and a costume at the soccer game if I'm picking up my kids. There's a role and a costume if I'm at a sexy San Francisco play party. Sure. There's a role and a costume. And what about choosing that and playing with that and really expanding that and saying, who else is inside my psyche that wants to come out and play? And how can I create an environment for that part of me? Right. We are going to talk about exactly that. Like how we can get into the deepest, darkest parts of our psyche and play in that arena with a partner, create a sacred space and work towards healing. Healing. And we're going to have a guest, super famous Janet Hardy. She is the author of The Ethical Slut, which many people have heard of, and also Radical Ecstasy, many other books. We're going to give her a call on the phone. I am going to fix my headphones. It's going to be awesome. We're going to take a little break. <laughs> we'll take some sort of break. We'll take some musical, we'll take some quickie. comedy. We'll have a quickie. Yeah, we'll, we'll have, have a, a quickie. Because this has been a longie. We'll take a little quickie in between. Okay. <laughs> so that's what we'll do. We'll be back with Janet Hardy. I kind of identify with her for a long time. She is long identified as being a pervert. And now she's a polyamorist and everything else going on with her. So I would love to hear from her. Yeah. We're going to take this break. We'll be be back with Francesca, Monica, Brandon, and 
myself after this, guys. So we'll see you on the other side. You're invited into a 112-year-old San Francisco cathedral for a magnificent dinner show. Fine cheeses, truffle honey, cocktail hour, body painting, five gourmet courses, a full bar, dancing, a live band in a gorgeous stone cathedral in North Beach. Artistic expression, dance and art performances, plus the delicious juxtaposition of consensual bondage, a diverse body-positive latex fashion show in a place that literally reverberates with divine energy. Vaulted ceilings, stained glass, this is our communion. A feast for the senses. Freedom and sacredness are not opposites. They are simply an invitation to our highest, sparkliest selves. Saturday, November 23rd, the intimate VIP champagne experience entices you to support Sexploration with Monica. Compelling elegance. Sexy, but not a sex party. Adorned, costumed, and anointed? Yes. Come to sexplorationdinner.com. You are listening to a special production of The Edge of Insanity and Sexploration with Monica, where we are going to explore the deepest, darkest, mm. but also find ways to shine the light of awareness into these dank, dark spaces where ordinarily we think dangerous, naughty things happen, but when we bring the light of education and awareness and consciousness to these spaces, mm -hmm. we can transform them. <laughs> like Francesca Gentili and Janet Hardy have been doing for much of their life's work, <laughs> which is why I'm excited to have you guys on the show. Yeah. <laughs> so this is Francesca Gentili, and we also have Janet W. Hardy on the phone. She's the ethical slut author. Maybe she's just the ethical Don slut. Like the. I, yeah, the I also have introduced you that way, yes. <laughs> I think she's um, also, What are some of the other books you wrote? Girl Fag, Topping Book, The Bottoming Book. Radical Ecstasy, which we're going to talk about later in the show. My, my new memoir, Impervious, has been out since April. Ooh, so Impervious. Memoir, actually, of my adventures in looking for ecstatic kink, and so it's pretty relevant to what we're talking about today. Oh, Yum. ecstatic kink. Yeah, that is exactly what we're talking about, because Francesca's work is about bringing the sacred to kink spaces. You know, she's mm -hmm. a priestess where she goes to kink play parties and helps people use BDSM techniques to create healing for themselves, healing and transcendence, you know, mind states too. Mm -hmm. And so you have been working with that, not only in your memoir, Impervious, as you're saying, but also with Radical Ecstasy, which is yes. exploring BDSM and Tantra. Yes, absolutely so. So I'd really like to encourage everyone to all talk together. So please, uh, <laughs> if I interrupt you, don't stop talking. <laughs> I'm just excited. And also, Francesca and Janet, please interact with each other. So floor is yours. We're just creating a Hi, safe, Janet. safe container for that. the conversation. <laughs> I'm not sure if we've ever met face-to-face, -face, have we? I'm terrible at names. Or even butt-to-butt -butt or any of those things. Any, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we... One meets people under those circumstances. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right? I don't think we have either, but it's great to hear your voice. And we have a number of really dear people in common. Yeah. So it's, yay, and I've heard, I've heard all kinds of things. 
things about Terrible, you. smutty things, no doubt. <laughs> or and delicious, yeah. delicious, I, wonderful things. Good ones, yeah. So we're going to talk about the intersection of sacred sex, healing, BDSM, and Tantra kind of all at once, which is something <laughs> that you've explored both in Impervious and in Radical, Radical Ecstasy. Ecstasy. Exactly. <laughs> and then also Francesca has been doing that work as well, which is mm-hmm. interesting that the energy, because a lot of people I think would think that Tantra and BDSM were kind of like the opposite thing. Like they're both kind of sexy things, but if you look at it from the outside, one, you think of people being super relaxed and super woo and we're going to just meditate. Look at each other's and, eyes and right, breathe eye gazing. heavily. But Call then, each other goddesses. Yes. Right, yeah. But once you get to the center of both BDSM and kink, like taking each other on journeys of sensation, that mm-hmm. does lead to mind well, states and healing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm super fascinated, Janet. How would you put it into a couple sentences? And I'll jump in too of that Reese's peanut butter of Tantra and BDSM and why they go together. Yeah, when Dossie and I first started exploring Tantra together when we decided to do Radical Ecstasy, we did encounter a lot of pushback from the Tantra community who were not comfortable either with our kink background or necessarily because I present as butch. There was some pushback against that as well. But I've seen that change a lot in the last decade since we did Radical Ecstasy. There's a lot more acceptance these days of the fact that we're all climbing the same pyramid up different sides and that we have things to teach one another. I've seen that too, absolutely. And yours was one of the first books that I read about a decade ago and, uh, you know, yummy and just, and really supported me to bring them together because I had come from a more tantric background, but I had met a dominant who said that I didn't need to be kinky to date him, but that I needed to honor that in him. And I felt Mm -hmm. like I heard like a divine voice say, he is your doorway, Mm. you know, Ah, because I'd actually had visions of torchlit processions and people being flogged in front of altars in very ancient times. And I had this sense of how the tools and techniques of kink were used more shamanically or ritualistically. And it was this sense like, I can't bring that to the modern world if I don't understand what the modern world is doing. And so I came in and I was a collared submissive for four years. About 10 years ago, what year did your book come out? I was wondering that. Radical Ecstasy. I don't remember and I can't find my desk copy. It was in the Mm mid-90s. So groundbreaking. And when I read your book, what I really felt that was so tantric in it was that the essence of ancient Tantra versus the modern Neo-Tantra is all of it. It's really embracing darkness and light, pain and pleasure, embracing all of it as a sacred path and bringing compassion and non-attachment to all of it. And I really felt that your stories, you were like leaning into the journey of the allness rather than saying there's only one flavor or there's only one type of touch or connection that can lead to communion. One of the things I try to do in my life is find ways to explain these phenomena in ways that people like me who do not have a strong affinity for spiritual or religious practice can still have a framework to put around their experiences. And so my feeling when I try to translate is that this ecstasy, the divine, the wholeness, whatever you want to call it, it's all around us. It's there all the time, but most of the time we are way up in our four brains 
mm-hmm. in ego state, thinking, 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 and so we're pushing it away. And I think one of the things that Tantra and or BDSM and or yoga and or a lot of other practices enable us to do is keep that part of our brain so busy that we can let things slip in that otherwise we would be pushing away. Now you've got me. I'm fascinated. Okay. <laughs> and, I, and I also love, I love to talk science, like the neurobiological yeah, underpinnings exactly. of how Tantra and BDSM and ecstatic states work. Mm-hmm. That's like a happy mm-hmm. place exactly. that I think we can share, Janet. But, oh, me you know, but when you were saying something slips through, like, what is that? What are you experiencing slipping through or what are you saying that needs to slip through? Okay. Now we're going to get way out there. Ooh, but ooh, Go, go, go. Ooh. Yeah, as humans in meat bodies, we yeah. are in time and space. Right. That's what the body does is it locates us in time and space. But that's not the only thing there is. There is this whole universe that is happening all the time because no time and everywhere because no space. And it's where we are before we're born and it's where we are after we die. You sound so woo-woo. Um, Keep going. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And how we can find it for a second or two while we're still alive. Mm-hmm. Right. We can't still we can't be there for long, or we would go crazy. But we can feel it in our bodies when our brains are not overoccupied with the stuff that keeps our brains busy during. The when day. we can be present in the moment. And, exactly. You know, I think what, what you're connecting the dots for me now, Janet, is I've started to study some of the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he talks about the neurobiology of the brain and the quantum field. We really restore and replenish in the more alpha states or the delta states. And that's the place where we connect with the quantum field, where we're not in that personal I-ness. When we're in our like day-to-day listening to this podcast right now, we're in beta. We're in beta when we're like really focused. If something that you and I are saying is completely fascinating, which of course it is, people might be in mid-beta. And then if we said, listen up, people, what I'm about to tell you is going to change your life, then maybe they might go into high beta. So, but that's not, it's not relaxing. It's overly focused and even high beta is that place of threat, perceived threat. So I really Mm -hmm. hear you speaking to this and the ancients have known this, this sense of we need to come out of that high threat. We need to come out of the severely focused brain and into these lower brain states, these kind of lower, slower frequencies. And that's actually where the miracle of healing happens. That's where the miracle of communion happens. Well, I was going to say also where connection happens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we have exactly. to have that connect when we're in that fight mode, it's just us against them. What are you talking about? What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> fight or flight, high cortisol, well, uh, stress, anger. Yeah, I mean, so exactly. What do you mean? What do you mean? So yeah, yeah we're Why did tight. you say that? Why did uh, you say it that way? Yeah. Uh, by the way, to answer your question earlier, again, we're speaking with Janet Hardy, co-author of The Ethical Slut. Radical Ecstasy. And, oh, I'm sorry. Radical Ecstasy was in 2004. That yeah, was okay. the year, Thank 2004. Then, 2004. Yeah, sorry. after I said mid-90s, I thought that's wrong. So mid 2000s Oh, four. Paul is looking at his laptop right now. Yeah. He's being a voyeur. <laughs> I'm so, just watching. The reason I want to connect Tantra and BDSM is because I'm throwing a big sexy party in a cathedral. And to Ooh. me, sex has always been sacred, which is why my one of my little slogans is making sex sacred again. Because mm-hmm. I really think that especially with what has happened with the rupture in our political structure that is the number 45 pregnant pred 
Yeah. She can't even get it uh, it's out. Just terrifying. I'm not going to even say his name. President like number 45. I hate him. He's just a blight. However, I think what he's really showing us, he's like this horrible wound. And we're like suddenly having to be confronted by this wound of corporate greed and rape culture, destroying the environment. All this stuff is bubbling to the surface. So we have to really acknowledge it and start to change our practices and move forward into the future because it has never been more important than now. And even seeing Kavanaugh's journey and hashtag me too, we're really starting to be like, oh, this is what it means to create a consent culture and like start to take down some of the hierarchies so we can create a beautiful, fun planet that we can all live in together before we destroy it. Coming back to BDSM here for a moment. <laughs> um, we, we are in a non-consensual scene right now with our government. And uh, they are, in fact, bringing abusive practice to us. And we didn't say yes. However, one of the really great things about BDSM, bondage, domination, sadomasochism, dominance and submission, beatings and discipline, there's a whole bunch of yeah. alphabet soup that you can put in there. Look it up, people. Just look it up. So Wiki <laughs> is your friend. So, But at any rate, you know, when we're looking at this world, one of my favorite things is that sense of let's look at and face those dark roles, those dark aspects, those yes. dark urges. Bring and, the and light. Bring the light. I believe in darkenment as well as enlightenment. And so I feel that I am safer for people around me because I faced how selfish I am, how manipulative I can be, how destructive. Now, is this all of me? No, of course not. But if I don't face that I actually, there's parts of me that I want what I want and I want it now. And I don't care if that's going to hurt you in the process. If I don't face that part of me, then it will act out underground in your unconscious moments and i think the greatest evils in the world are perpetrated by people who are convinced that they're right or good so what we you know what's hallelujah so what's so exciting about this when you come to the dark side we have cookies is that (laughs) you had me a cookie right is is this good experiences is this sense of let me let me explore let me explore this consensually with you. Let's have a safe word. How great mm-hmm. is it to be yeah. able to explore the edge of pain or the, explore the edge of a particular... Last night, I just was reworking some... I was at a play party and I was... A couple asked me to go with them as their third, as their unicorn, we say, the hot bisexual babe. But in this case, I was there as the priestess who was helping her rewrite and role play being denigrated and shamed by her stepmother and being very much controlled and left out. And so we, her partner and I redid this scene where we started out at first I was denigrating her into like, what are you wearing? You look ridiculous. You know, take that off. You're just such a problem in this but family. Also her nude. <laughs> and, and then, and then draping her over one of the, one of the implements, one of the Having places. Having created a safe container. And then it, we had to say, we knew our safe words. We knew that if she needed to go out, we need to talk about a scale of one to 10. And she had said her sweet spot is between five and seven. So at various points she'd say like, which meant you're not doing enough of anything right now. 
or you know five five to seven, which meant that we were right at the Good. right spot. Or uh, periodically, she might say you know, eight. eight, and we'd have to come down <laughs> pull and back a little, pull back a like, little bit, kind of like yellow that we were yellow. talking about last yellow. time. And yeah. so later, she said that it really. She was just sobbing, and she mm-hmm. felt like it really felt like it started to Cleansing. rewire well, was just yes. something say, for her. As the token yeah. straight guy, I just want to jump in and say, "Oh my God, how therapeutic is this shit?" Yeah. I'm telling you right now, I'm feeling better. I feel like years have been lifted off my shoulders, and holy shit, it wasn't Just my stepmother. Yeah. Can, I, can step- I insert, though, a word of caution here? Oh, please, please um, do. That type of deep edge play, deep emotional edge play, really is edgy. It's not a thing to do casually. It's not a thing to do with a new partner. Francesca has training. I gather she knew these people pretty well already. It can go really south really fast. Yeah. And the aftermath of a thing like that going wrong. Well, yeah, yeah, no joking, but, you know, these are professionals. Do not attempt this at home. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and yeah. I would say that we can be trained in this. I'm doing more trainings in this around the world in therapeutic kink. So there's actually a process whereby you negotiate very clearly in intentions, whereby you know how to work with what's called a trauma release. So mm-hmm. if somebody goes into tears or into laughter or into rage or into shaking, you mm-hmm. know how to work with with that and Janet's absolutely correct that it's additive to get some of these trainings and there's trainings in recovery from trauma there's training in somatic experiencing there's trainings that you can also adapt into kink but it's additive to have some of them and just as a little sidebar because you know at any point in BDSM it Actually, not just even in BDSM. At any point, someone could go yeah, into in a trauma sex. release mm-hmm. in sex. And people in do. Touch. Sometimes people do you burst know, into even, tears even when, when you're, you're not intending. Even when you're not, when you're not yeah. intending, they can go there. You just ask someone to breathe into their body, and they might start sobbing. Right. You know, yeah. anything can ask happen. Ask them how they are. They start sobbing. crying. So what I want to say that this is counterintuitive to the culture is that if someone is crying, let them. So the culture suppresses emotions and somehow feels that emotions are dangerous. And then if someone's crying, it's like, oh, let me hand you a Kleenex. Let me give you a hug. Are you okay? They actually, what's called interrupt the trauma release moment. Peter Levine's work, which I highly recommend for people, his seminal first book was Waking the Tiger, but he now has so many other books and podcasts, et cetera, that you can get and online trainings that you can get. He really looked at trauma in the wild and that trauma happens everywhere to all animals. But what animals have that we don't is if the gazelle is trying to get away from the lion and gets maybe scratched a little bit, but does get away, the gazelle is going to keen. It's going to shake. It's actually going to move the trauma moment and the fear out of its body. And Mm. then he, he saw this over and over again. And then he tells the story of watching a mother with a group of kids crossing the street like ducklings in a row with the little one, the smallest, at the end of the line. And they're all holding hands, and she's on the sidewalk, and a, and a car starts barreling down the street. Oh, and no, and yeah. she's, like, calling from the sidewalk, come on, come on, get out of the street, get out of the street. And the kids are all rushing to the sidewalk. They're pulling each other along by their arms. As this car is racing down the street, it doesn't see the smallest one, so it's not stopping. It's going very fast. And they grab the little one drag him onto the sidewalk. He skins his knee. He under- The car races past. He understands that on some level, his he life was, was at danger. risk. Yeah. And he does the normal response of a little animal. He starts to keen and right. shake and cry. And, and what does his mother do? 
She walks over to him, slaps him, and says, oh. you have nothing to cry about. Oh, my God. And that, Further locks, him. that locks the trauma in the body. Oh so God. when we come together in these intimate relationships, there can just be any moment. And it's not yeah. even about BDSM or it could be BDSM where we just say something or touch each other in a certain way. And suddenly and it triggers that and it triggers it, that it activates yeah. it. Because and it trans- finally it. you're in a safe moment where you can process that horrible thing that happened to you as a two year old. And I've seen it so often in couples that they get into a deep place of intimacy right. and then they get a recovered trauma memory right. because they finally and they don't know safe. what to do. And with they it. don't know where it came from. They like blame it on each other. Maybe. Okay. So let me go back to last night and I know Janet's there too, but let's go back to you. And last night you were wearing so many hats, if you will. You the were priestess. that. You were you were the priestess. You were the unicorn. You were the referee, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you were their safety net mm-hmm. for those high wire acts that Janet was just saying that you do not attempt this at home without a professional. It can go south very quickly or because it re- support. Yeah, yeah support. But if you don't have that, it can really, like you said, Janet, it can go south. It can fall apart really quickly. And, and there's a sense of, and I want Janet to talk about this too, because she writes about it in her books, is there's a sense of if you have that trust, if you have that consent with people, and then there is a sense of we have limbic systems that feel each other. So if what I do when someone starts to cry or someone starts to shake or rage, I just remember to engage my polyvagal nervous system by taking like a nice deep breath in the nose, out the mouth, down the body, and I just keep doing that and I maintain calm. I actually create a limbic field for them to have their experience safely and come back. And that is so important. Once again, it happens in BDSM. It could happen anywhere. And Janet, I'd love for you to talk about it because it was so clear to me when I was reading your your memoirs that you went into some very deep places of stuff getting coming up, but you yeah. really held it. And were you doing that by accident? Did you consciously practice something where you're like, okay, we're going to hold this a certain way? Were you doing it by the seat of your little thong panties? What, yeah, how no, are you doing well, this? I'm not a little panties kind of a <laughs> I have a bodacious yeah, bottom, too. Okay. I, I have not done the academic study that you have. Dossie and I did some research when we were working on it, Radical Ecstasy. There's a lot more out since then. But I'm a pretty empathetic person. I am the child of a therapist. I'm the co-author of another therapist. I have been in the periphery of that world a lot. And I just learned as I went. Early in my play history, yes, there were some scenes where I wish I had handled things differently. But the deepest journeying I've done on this one has been, of course, with Dossie. And Dossie and I have been playing together off and on for three decades now. Playing and writing. Playing and writing. (laughs) So she, she and I know each other pretty darn well. And we have both, in the care of the other, gone into some places that we didn't expect to go. But because we know each other so well, we've been able to take care of each other. She, of course, is a therapist. But I don't think those are necessarily the same skills that she engages during her personal play. I mean, as a therapist, part of what you're offering is some distance, some compartmentalization. You have to have some objectivity. Whereas if you're playing with someone, that's not the space you want to be in. You want to be there with them in communication. Oh, present in, in the moment. Yeah. So it's a different feeling, I think. Yeah, and Francesca, you're free to disagree with me on this because yeah, you've and, been doing it a lot longer than, and, than I have in, I, in an academic sense. I think but, um, that what I'm hearing, yeah. though, is this deep field of trust. 
and yeah. that this sense that as the more that you know each other, the more that you know each other's cues, the more that in a sense your limbic systems are entrained with one another, mm-hmm. that you can go into some deep places, bring up some deep emotions and feel that there's a field of trust and safety that can hold what's coming up for the two of you. That's definitely part of it. Part of it is we've come to be able to read each other's body symbols, body communication very clearly. Yeah, there's this thing she does where she spreads her fingers and makes a hissing noise, and I know that means she's turned on. It would probably bother me if I didn't know her well, (laughs) because it's an odd thing to do, but that's what she does. Her fingers spread out like she's filling up with the energy, and she makes this sort of hissing, whistling noise. Oh, but now that you know what she's doing, it's like hot, huh? Yep. It's like yep, the yep. Tea, it's like the tea kettle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. I like it. Teapot. Um <sighs> and you know <laughs> sorry. A thing that I want to talk about, I think I wrote this scene up in Radical Ecstasy, but it was a scene I did with a woman friend at a party. And we almost didn't play that night because she'd been fighting with her husband. She Mm -hmm. was not, her kids had been screwing up at school. She was not in a good place. Mm -hmm. But we knew we weren't going to get another chance to play for a while, so we decided to try it and see how it went. And so I hooked her up to a St. Andrew's cross, and before we even started to really play, she was in bondage, but I hadn't touched her, I came up behind her and hugged her from behind and set my teeth in the muscle of her trapezius. Oh, that's where, so where her neck yeah, and shoulder come relaxing. Uh-huh. It's uh, like well, but what she did was she started to cry right oh. then. I knew her signals well enough to know that that was not a time to stop. Right. So I went on and started flogging her, and she started to giggle. Yeah. And and then she came. And oh. then we just repeated hey. that cycle over and over again for wow. 25 minutes. You, you found so, the winning yeah. combination, like the, the yeah, cheat right. code to the and, next and level. At, gotcha. At that point, her leg started right to buckle, up. and yeah. I took her down. But it's one of the reasons I get annoyed with people who think that because someone is giggling during a scene, that means it must not be a heavy or serious oh. scene. Yeah. Um, all the emotions. What I think I hear you referring to is that sense of the layers of the emotion and that under anger is fear or sometimes under fear is love or under depression is sadness or anger. And there's this opportunity if people are willing in BDSM to like move through the layers and move. And I I love to pleasure. I don't even necessarily feel the need to link it to emotion, although that's certainly there. But to me, what it feels like is overload, that I'm purposefully, consciously overloading their system. Mm that that overload of energy has to escape somehow. Sensual mm-hmm. overload, sensual Sexual overload. overload, emotional overload, physical overload. You oh, know, that's kind of what we do, overload. at least in, yeah. in a pain scene, which is really mm-hmm. my wheelhouse. I don't do a lot of DS. Mm-hmm. But in a pain scene, that's what we're doing is we are consciously overloading our brains so that whatever is looking to come out can without our brain standing in the way saying, no, no, you can't do that. Hmm. Yeah, really, really, really beautiful. Just that sense of clearing again. It's kind of like rebooting the system. Yes. Actually, back when I was doing a lot more bottoming than I am anymore, my then partner used to talk about my bottoming as defragging my brain. Oh. Because I would often, the morning after bottoming to a heavy pain scene, I would wake up with a sense of clarity with solutions to problems that have been bothering me. It was like I was a box of blocks and someone had shaken it so the blocks had settled. It was really a remarkable thing. And I don't particularly miss the kink scene these days, but I do miss that. It was such a useful way of just getting my brain back aligned with myself. Mm. 
Yummy. And I just want to highlight a couple things that Janet says. On the one hand, definitely the right scene and the right overload of the system to just let whatever giggles or laughters or whatever needs to be released to be released and to reboot is fabulous. And I love hearing that. And then for those who might be giving sensation play to someone else, it's also additive to check in a couple days later because sometimes they might be clearer and just have insights to the universe, but sometimes, once again, it could activate something from their past or something uncomfortable, what's called top drop or bottom drop, and need a little extra support. So it's Mm -hmm. always good if you've guided somebody through something intense. And people's, this can just be sex, sex, you know, so just even quote unquote non-kinky sex is an intense experience is checking in a couple days later, like, hey, how are you doing? Might in fact be polite and courteous. Are you going to send a customer survey? (laughs) (laughs) To to that I would add essential. I think it's not ethical topping to walk away from a scene when it's over and not participate in the reintegration process. And one of the things Janet just pointed to is, I didn't realize this. I'm going to out myself by saying I didn't identify as kinky until my woo-woo self really took me into the BDSM world, is that one of the things that's so beautiful about BDSM that the non-BDSM world doesn't have is this sense of negotiation, safe words, protocols of courtesy, like it is a standard to check in after a couple of days, where in the non-BDSM world, it looks like this, hey... Hey, you're cute. You are too. Let's have a couple drinks. Oh my God, we're naked and fucking. Did we remember to exchange information? I don't think so. <laughs> and then I actually, as a as a counselor, I like hear this from people. Or that who there are, isn't protocol. There isn't. There isn't protocol. But in BDSM, it would actually look a lot more like, hello, hello. How do you identify? <laughs> Uh, you know, how do you identify? What are you looking for? What are you into? What what are you here's, a, here's a copy of my mission statement. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is what this is yes what I'm all knows. about. Yeah. And, and then do we have do we have desires that match or not? What is your safe word? There's going to be like a whole discussion. Safe for sex list. Safe yeah, for I was going to say fill out, check a few boxes, fill out a few spaces. There are lists. That right. Likes and dislikes. Likes and dislikes that people will anal, in no fact anal. have. have, have <laughs> Top uh, on your list. It's it have dates where they compare lists, which you can get online. Hint, hint, online BDSM checklist. And really, where, like Google images, Google and they'll it. come up with it. Yeah, they'll, yeah, they'll be like this whole list of do you like oh, this, do you like that, so and, and, and are you curious? Are you totally into? Is this a definite no? And that the people will actually sit down and review this with each other. Now, not necessarily at a play party. So at a play party, you do something called pickup play, and pickup play is. It sounds like what Janet was. This was somebody you knew though, right? Or yeah. was this pick- oh, very okay. well. Yeah. This was someone you knew. And but I do I do need to tell a story here oh, about t- a t- pickup tell. play scene yes. at a party where I saw a friend of mine and he wasn't doing anything and I wasn't doing anything. And hey, baby. So I said I sidled over and said, Hey, you feel like playing tonight? He said, Sure. So we went down the, the list. I like this toy and this toy. Here's what I don't like. Here's what I'm feeling today. Here's how I am emotionally. Here's how I am physically. And we walked out into the middle of the dungeon and started to set up and it was only then we discovered that each of us thought the other was going to talk. Oh, 
How brilliant. <laughs> and then what did you do? Now you've got me on the edge of my uh, seat. We, we pretty much flipped a coin. Yeah, I was just going to say, you flip <laughs> yeah. a coin, Rochambeau. What did we do? Okay, that's cool. I love the way you're solving this problem. So a lot of the things you were just talking about, a consent list, you can definitely Google these kind of things. You get things like lists that say full body touching, external only, yes or no, oh. kissing with or without, the, uh, the insertion of a tongue into the mouth, oh. uh, digital penetration receiving in blank. <laughs> Right, digital penetration giving in blank. <laughs> Let me Google that for uh, you. Oral sex receiving in blank blank or oral sex giving <laughs> blank blank. Yeah, I got your blank blank right here. And Damn, then, and girl. This- Vaginal sex receiving females only. Good. I'm glad you actually pointed that out for us. Uh, well, you know, not everybody with a vagina is female. The, but, this uh, is yeah. true. Yes. I guess I'm living in San Francisco and oh, slap me. There's now. so much yeah. learning we can do all the time. Cutting keep edge here. And keep then what's really great in the world of BDSM, I'm becoming such a BDSM advocate here, but you don't need to be kinky to negotiate. You don't need to be yeah. kinky to talk about sex. And one of my least favorite things in the non-kinky world is this terrible mythos that says if we talk about sex, we're somehow ruining the mood yeah. and killing the vibe. And I can just tell you that much better sex is had in a more consistent basis when yeah. talking is involved. And not just, hey, baby, let me whisper those dirty words in your ear. But actually saying, like, this is what I like and this is what I don't like. Try this and try this. You know, and being able to finally do that in my life. Taking stock, actually have an an inventory stock list for your sex, right? I have a document called uh, Dating Francesca and uh, that I, awesome. I send to interested people. Forward off. that to me, please. <laughs> <laughs> just for reference. Yeah, right? I just, just I, you know. What and, a nice and, template. Like, oh, knowledge I'm is king. This too. I'm knowledge is power. That. Yeah, I mean. Exactly. And, and I just have a, a little thing that I've discovered with pickup play. And you could do this once again, kinky. And tell us again what pickup play is. Oh, pickup play is some. Pickup play is is actually what you do on Tinder when you go to a bar. But you can also do it at a sex party. So it's someone that you haven't met before that you meet that time. You feel some attraction or interest, and you decide that you're going to do some form of play together. Now, in kink, it could be... Any kind of erotic exchange. It could be some erotic exchange, and not always including genitals. In the day-to-day world, it usually, if people are doing pick a play from Tinder or Grindr or Bumble or whatever all the things are, they will probably go to penetrative sex. You don't know the person well. You don't know the you don't know them well. You haven't really discussed. You don't know their psychological template. By the way, over forty percent right. of us were raised in families or environments with severe emotional, physical, sexual, and or spiritual trauma. That's across yeah. the country. Disclaimer. That means that you have a fifty fifty chance almost of dating somebody who is going to have some trauma. So I say, you know, when you touch a body, you touch their wounds from the past and their hopes for the future every time. It makes sense to get a little info. So what I do is four simple questions. Just four. They're very fast. Where in your body do you feel the strongest right now? Where in your body do you feel do you feel the strongest or most celebratory right now? Then I say, where in your body do you feel like the most vulnerable pain or tenderness? You know, this gives me a sense of a little bit of a steering wheel physically in their body. You know, this area is going to be a a woohoo area that feels really good to them. This area is a challenge area. It feels very tender to them in some way. Then I say, where in your life do you feel celebratory? Mm. Do you feel like, woohoo, this is great in my life? And you know what? If someone has says nowhere or nothing, they've just told you a hell of a lot. Ouch. And then... 
And then I say, where in your life do you feel the most challenged? Now I'm starting to hold something about who they are as a human being. So not just their physical steering wheel, but something of their emotional steering wheel. These are parts of their life that they feel really good about. These are parts of their life that they feel really challenged by. And I'll literally say to them, do you want, shall we bring in like more of the celebration of the parts that feel strong? Shall we work there? Shall we play there? Or shall we play with what feels vulnerable and actually have some intention of moving through something or bringing or healing? There's two different sides of it, right? You can go at it two different ways. I I refer to them as losing scenes and winning scenes. And different people at different times want a winning scene or a losing scene. They want a scene where at the end of it, they're going to feel stronger and empowered or a scene where they feel taken down and made small. If you have a miscommunication on that, I can't think of a way to have a scene go haywire faster. Yeah. No kidding. If if the top is trying to take someone down and they're feeling the need to to get big. Yeah, it it gets ugly. Now, you were talking about having this conversation with him, Francesca. You were talking about having this conversation with him in, what did you call it, pickup play. Mm -hmm. So you're doing this on Tinder. You're doing this on Bumble. That has the biggest buzz, by the way. Bumble. I know. Sorry. Had to do it. I'm old. I don't use either one. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about the buzz. Anyway, so. Or at a dungeon or at a sex party. So there you go. So you do this pickup play. Okay, so if you're doing it online, are you doing these questions, these vulnerability? I would do it in person. Yeah, yeah. this is when I meet up. This okay. is this is so it's pickup play, meaning you're oh, you going have to, to see the you're going to get together micro expressions. You maybe have done a little bit of connecting online right. before a party or before you're going on a date, but you're going to see each other pretty quickly. Right. And when you see each other, that's when you're maybe not like hello, my name is so and so. Let me ask you four tough questions. But before I'm actually going towards sex with them, so some rapport has already mm-hmm. been established. If I'm saying, oh, thank you for the drink. It's been lovely. And then walk out the door. Of course, I'm not asking these questions. But if there's an alignment, an agreement that we're heading towards something more intimate, that's when I would say, you know, I just have a couple questions that really help me connect with you. I really want to connect with you a little bit in your heart and spirit before I start connecting with your body. And there's just a couple. People are great with it. And I would love to share a scene, too, that I was a pickup play scene, which was at a dungeon. A friend said, hey, my girlfriend doesn't have anybody to play with. Would you play with her? I said, sure. As I talk to her and I say, you know, I have some four questions for you. I give them to her. As we're walking to the St. Andrew's Cross, which is, it's like an X. So if you're wondering, what the frick is a St. Andrew's Cross? Uh, It's two planks of wood. The person will stand in front of it. They could be cuffed to it or tied to it, but they don't have to. They could just be standing. It gives them something to lean against. So they're facing it, usually with their arms up on it. So if you're spanking them or if you're flogging them or if you're doing something, they actually have something that's helping kind of take the impact or something that supports them. So we're walking to the St. Andrew's Cross and she says, should I take off my clothes or not? And I say... I don't know. It's up to you, really. She says, because we have not, by the way, negotiated for a DS dynamic. Topping means I'm going to be the giver of sensation. Bottoming means I'm going to be the receiver. Dominance and submission, if I'm asking for that or wanting to share that, dominance 
means that I'm going to be more of not just a giver, but a guide. The teacher is the guide. The therapist is the guide. The parent is the guide. Someone who has a certain kind of authority and leadership. And then the submissive is saying, I want to be guided. I want that sense of somebody who's holding the journey in some way for me. So we hadn't negotiated DS. It was more topping, giving. She was more receiving. But she said, I'm not sure what to take off because I don't like my body. And when oh, she yeah. said that, so she's I said, pain here. I felt I had the scene. Oh, by the way, I also overtly revealed that I am a therapeutic dominant. My kink is transformation. When I go to play parties, kinky or not kinky, I tell people, I'm into sacred arrows. I'm into transformation. I'm into healing. If that's not what you're into, don't play with me. Consent is real because it is going to go there with me probably. So, or the intention is that I want to bring that. So if that doesn't sound tasty, let's not play. So I had already gotten consent from her that that could be part of the scene if it arrived. So when she was saying, you know, I don't like my body, I'm like, ah, I have the scene. So as I know what she, to do now. I know what to do now. So I literally, and I'm, Janet's going to be laughing because I'm sure she's done this at some point, is that I was literally beating self-worth into her. Oh, so as, yeah, as I am like spanking her and as I'm flogging her, she's saying things like, my body's jiggling. And I'm saying things like, I love your jiggles. These jiggles mm -hmm. are sexy. Every time I smack you, I want you to like be saying, I am sexy. My jiggles are beautiful. Oh. I am sexy. I and then you. she's, and I said, and you're so pink <laughs> and, and it's so gorgeous and you're so round. And in the aftercare, I had her under a blanket and she has her head on my shoulder. And at one point she just sits up very tall and she goes, my body is beautiful, and if somebody doesn't like it, they don't need to play with it. That's and I'm like, right. yeah, that you yes. tell them, girl. Yes. You go, <laughs> you go. And, yeah, and and I would say that's my that is my turn on. That is totally seats. true. You do my, not need to have sex with me if you, you don't, don't think I'm you sexy. Uh, no kidding. Yeah, dumbass. I'm empowered again. It's not even my life. Go, you <laughs> go. I'm feeling so good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <sighs> a variant on that. One of the things, particularly Dossie and I like to do, but that I generally like to do, is edgy role play. Mm. Ooh, when edgy Dossie role play. and I do that, we often go into these roles because they're very natural for us. She calls hers the girl in white. If you think of every women's prison movie ever made, there's the sweet, innocent, little naive who's dressed in white and who's been wrongfully accused of something and is ah. thrown in with all these prison-hardened dykes. Yeah. And I like to be the sadistic butch warden. Oh. Um, because, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. my. Because that hot oh for you. So I'm, I'm like but an innocent the, the, the way I like to waif. cue that kind of healing during a scene like that is I can think of a few women around here who are going to be really happy to see a pretty little thing like you in here. And on along that. So, right. what I'm so you're the first one. Is, yeah. You're, you're a pretty little thing. You're irresistible. You're at risk because you're so beautiful. It's, it's great fun. If there is a woman in Western culture who does not have problems with her body image, I've yet to meet her. Mm. So Highlighting this, yeah. highlighting this, this is so important, yes. especially for cishet men. So cishet, yes. by the way, means that you were signed male at birth, you agree with that assignment, and you're heterosexual. So that when we say cishet, yes. that's what that means. So especially for cishet men, you will look at a woman and think she's beautiful. You're attracted to that. You're going to think she's beautiful and she knows she's beautiful. Mostly. I often, I often find that men think that women are these beautifully 
wrapped box of chocolates that are kind of saying, here's my chocolates, you can't have them. Here's my chocolates, you can't have them. But what women often feel about themselves is that we're a sewer, that we are flawed and broken and disgusting in some ways, and that Mm. our bodies are severely imperfect, Uh and that we are putting this gorgeous wrapping. We are putting this wrapping on, so maybe that you won't notice how disgusting we are. Let's let's take a breath here. We're going to take take a breath here, because this is... Uh, this is something that a cishead man does not understand. And I think if you can take this in, men, it can change your life with women yeah. to really yeah. understand the suffering that we carry. Now, we need to understand the suffering so that you carry. Shame. And it's compassion that right. I believe is, yeah. the, is the bridge and the mutual way through. Mutual compassion. Mutual com- yeah. It's like mutual masturbation. So good. Mutual compassionation. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> compassionation, but, but I, but I think baby. that... What I hear you saying, Janet, is really having Dossie even have that opportunity. This is with consent, people. So they've negotiated this. This is with consent. She's not just dropping this on her sweetheart. This is something that they've agreed sounds like fun. Dossie gets to feel like the beautiful, desired, and yet dangerously desired. Oh, no. What's going to happen next? (gasps) Oh, yeah. oh, but oh also there's a safe container, but there's a safe container and she gets to feel desired and overtaken in a way that feels right for her, mm-hmm. not in a way that feels disempowering, but ultimately in a way that feels empowering, even though it's a version of predator prey. Various hunter, hunted, predator, prey vampires are one of them. That's that they're yeah. using to spice yeah. it up, but that's actually not what's going on because they're making a safe container by negotiating and having safe words and knowing each other. Yeah, Janet gets to feel powerful. Dossie gets to feel beautiful and taken. It's all good. Yep. We wrote about this in one of the books. I think it was the bottoming book. But one of our early scenes in those roles was a tremendous trauma release for her, which is why we keep going back to them. But I think the first time we went into those roles, where she went was a feeling she later identified as feeling pathetic. And what it took her to was a time when she had left an abusive partner while she was pregnant and living on the streets in the hate and living on free yogurt that they were giving out at the free clinic. Wow. Um, And she really was pathetic. And Mm. so it was a chance to reclaim that feeling and have it be healing and accepted, whereas it had Mm. always felt like there was something wrong with her, that if she had been a stronger person, it wouldn't have been as bad as it was. But she said, I luxuriated in feeling pathetic. Oh, Uh, I love it. It's that choice again. It's wonderfully healing. Oh, wow. You know, it's the choice. Once again, when we're delving into these things must be handled delicately, as they say in The Wizard of Oz, but it's the choice that makes it doable. If you're delving into these realms at all, your partner needs to have a safe word. They need to have a scale of one to 10 or green, woohoo, yellow, slow down, red, let's freaking stop. I was at a party, just somebody's birthday party, and they happened to have a dungeon, oh, San Francisco. And so, <laughs> by the way, wherever you are listening to this right now, if you go on to FetLife.com, that's FET as in fetish, FetLife.com, there's going to be play parties and classes at least within a couple of hours of you, I promise. Yeah. So please go. If this sounds interesting, please go look and please take classes. Please read books. Education. But education yeah. is important. Is the light. Is the light. So here I was at the party with my honey and we were, for some reason, he's like, what would you like? And I said, punch my pectorals. And so Mm -hmm. he's punching my pectorals, which actually feels really good. It's like a massage. As he's like punching 
my pecs, I get this thought, oh, it would be interesting if he slapped me. And when the minute the, the slap thought came up, a vision of my mother slapping me as a child also oh. came up. So I went, oh, wait, Trauma. this must be handled with care. Yes. So I asked him to sit across from me. So imagine we're now sitting knee to knee. And we're gazing into each other's eyes. We're looking into each other's eyes. Hello, Tantra. Hello, Tantra. Which releases serotonin and oxytocin, a sense of well-being and connection. At this point, I mentioned the thing about my mom. And he says, I'm going to let you take charge of this. I Mm -hmm. won't touch you. I won't slap you until you touch my knee. So if you reach out with your right hand crossed to my left knee, then I'll slap your right side of your face. If you reach across with your left hand to my right knee... I'll slap your left face, but I won't do anything unless you touch one of my knees. It was almost like he's your puppet. Well, and it's clearly her body is consenting to To what his body is going to do. So I'm in charge, even though he's the one who's topping, meaning he's giving. I'm the one who... You're the marionette. Which is called topping from the bottom. So I'm in charge. And as I touch, and this reminds me of what you said earlier, Janet, too, is as I'm touching and he's slapping and it's, I'm doing this fairly slowly and I'm just breathing down my body, just really trying to let whatever emotion is there be there, mm. you know, without any judgment, just letting it be there. The first emotion that comes up is laughter. So he's, <laughs> he's you know, slapping and I'm laughing. And that's often a way that we in release. Our release when Energy. we're not safe yeah. to cry or we're not safe to rage. Yeah. People will laugh about laugh. trauma. They'll yeah. literally say things like, oh, you know, my father beat me every night. Because <laughs> that's how we Letting deal it with go. it a lot. That's of how them. we deal with it. So the first thing that is there yeah. is laughter. But I just keep breathing. Just keep breathing and touch a knee. He slaps me. Touch a knee. He slaps me. And then sadness starts to come up. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then I start to, and then you know, you start tears. To get down tears, to the layer of grief. Right. Tears start going down my face. Yeah. But as I'm Beautiful. touching his knee and he's slapping me, what goes through my mind, I don't say it out loud, but what goes through my mind is, this is my face. This is uh-huh. my face. This is my face. And it was like I was reclaiming that I get to have choice in my body. It was super powerful. (laughs) And as we we kept going through this, the next thing that happens is I start to feel rage. (laughs) Just rage. You know, like all the anger of having to say yes when I meant no. Ah. All the anger of having to be small and nice, you know, to like survive. Go get it, girl. It just like all starts coming up. And and then I recognize that... I'm at somebody's birthday party <laughs> and that there's yeah, not, and that there's not actually consent in the space. In the whole space. Yeah. So I was crying quietly and it wasn't a big deal. But like <laughs> oh, I'm thinking, You're in the coat right, room. Right. I'm thinking, I'm thinking there is not consent in this space, even though we're in the dungeon level for of your this rage. house. For all for of my rage. for all of my rage. So and this is real too. I mean, like, where are you doing your scenes? So I actually put a pause button on that for myself. Note to self, I need to get back to that. Is I put a pause button on that. Be like, wow, this is in there. This is in there and it needs to come out. Yeah, I've T-voted. I need to express you know, it. But this right. is not the place to have it come out. Right. I you need know, a safe space. Because limbic systems, and this is how mob rule happens. This is how, in some ways, how Hitler's well, Germany and happened. And other people are drinking. Is that, is and other people, people are wounded. People pick up on my limbic system. Absolutely. So wow. the fact that Your I anger started, is suddenly safe. Really? Anger, right. So we, the limbic systems have mirror neurons. Mm-hmm. And this is yeah. how we escalate 
escalate in anger. This is yeah. how we escalate in fear. Yeah. This is how we escalate in and lust. especially with drinking, well, it's I dangerous. Fe- I felt like I was on a roller coaster, you describing that scene. I was, <laughs> no, we're there on the limbic system. We're with her on the journey. Our mirror neurons are keying into her emotions. Like, I was tearing up. We're also. It was so beautiful to watch her being on this journey and then to notice, okay, you're in someone else's house on their birthday. So maybe <laughs> we, knew, maybe we need to TiVo scene. this and play uh, the scene back at a different time. Right? is not the right place and time for this. But knowing that it's there, like what a gift he was able to give you. It was like it was your birthday. Janet, what I'm hearing you say, too, is this sense of having these moments where you get to go back in and because yeah. you're with someone you trust, which I absolutely, he was my beloved. I absolutely trusted him with someone you trust, somebody who has some sense of who you are and is holding this space for you. You can rewrite you literally, the body cannot tell the difference between something that's powerfully imagined and something that really happens. So when you go yeah. back into these moments, yeah, you transcend back, you actually start to rewire your brain. Well, that's what I was going to say. Okay. So when I'm listening to your conversation about that play in the basement of the party, and then I think back to what Janet was talking about when she had on the cross, the St. Andrew's cross, the St. Andrew's yeah. cross. We're all wired very similar, and some of these things have this natural roller coaster of emotions that we can yeah. follow. The timeline might be a little bit different in between the things, but they're really there. It's the awkward little giggle that's that nervous release that we have. And then it's that excitement, and then it's that rage. We can almost plot our route on this journey. Absolutely. What do you think, Janet? Well, I'm going to slightly shift the direction of the conversation. Go, Janet. We're talking a great deal about the experience of the bottom. And I want to talk a little bit about the risks and rewards of topping. In oh, yeah. Do it, baby. Go, Let's go for this. it. Yeah. If I fell into topping, for example, the scene as the sadistic butch warden, and it went wrong somehow. Or if, oh, yeah. as, ha- as sometimes happens, it went right while it was happening, but the next day my partner had awakened feeling bad or wrong She's, about what happened. Right, going through it emotionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, we become tops because we are empathetic creatures, because otherwise, why bother? And it can be very difficult to have agreed to go into this very shadow persona, this sadistic or cruel or bossy or whatever your particular shadow looks like, and then have it rejected. To be told that we had done something wrong when we Mm -hmm. thought we were doing right and when we were out on our own personal edges in terms of how villainous we are willing to appear. Right. Um, It could be really, really traumatic. Sure. So I want to emphasize that negotiation and safe words are not just for bottoms. Right. Um, Thank you for bringing that up, Janet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you are topping a scene and, for example, Francesca wants to go into something that she knows is dark and traumatic from her past, you get to say no if that's not a place you are feeling competent or willing to take her. Right. That That is when you need your safe word. You need to back off and try to negotiate a scene that feels safer to you. Yeah, really, really great that the top or the dominant can feel like they always have to say yes You know, someone asks them to play at a party. Someone asks them for this or that. And the masculine often gets into that same bind. They feel like they always have to say yes to sex. And that is not true. You're not feeling safe and good about it. Yeah. 
I love that the topman or the top can also have a safe word, can also tap out, so to speak. Absolutely. If they need to. And it's rewarding. When it does work, it's very right. rewarding. And I think, oh, and now a warning. And now a warning. There are amazing people out there in the world, just beautiful, good-hearted, that really want to create collaborative win-wins and are going to be happy to lean into some some really intimate conversations with you to get there. And I just want to let you know that there's also people in the sex positive community of whatever type that are predators that are on the narcissist spectrum or on the borderline personality They're spectrum. They're wounded. They're wounded in deeply, a way deeply wounded. that could be everybody's of wounded. Abuse. Everybody's wounded, but you know, most of us in some way. But on the other hand, they could be wounded in a way that is dangerous to you. Right. Yeah. So in I particular. would say whether or not you're a top, a dominant, a bottom or submissive, Please use discernment. Please don't yeah. be so hungry, so needy, so hungry, so based in scarcity that you're willing to do whatever to just, and I'm, I'm saying this kindly, holding the parts of me that get needy very tenderly as I say this, is that there's parts of me that can just be like so hungry for sex or so hungry for touch or so hungry for attention or so or hungry desire, for- turn on. Or turn on or to yeah. be desired or to be in you know this dynamic of Pleasure. being in charge or- going, having a braincation, which, you know, take me on a braincation is that I can be so hungry for this that I can start to lose discernment. And when I lose discernment, I'm going to leave myself open to people who don't actually hold the capacity to maintain good intention. I think most people think that they have good intention, but because scarcity, because unconsciousness, and because unconsciousness, a lot of people, my dominant used to say to me, but not remember it later. I'm so generous in life. I overgive in life. Dominance and submission is when it, when it's my turn, when (laughs) I get to get it back for me. And then he wasn't conscious that he was utilizing, like it would be one thing if we agreed on that consensually. Yeah, right. you do give so generously in life. Let's create a scene where you get to have back. You get to get it or back. Or that the, all the scenes are all him getting well, back. Well, right. and, yeah. and you, like you were saying before, you can go, and I thought this uh, two different ways, right? So he's so giving in life, maybe he needs some power in the bedroom, but he's not getting the reward he wants. So maybe he needs to be giving in the bedroom, but actually get the reward and that he's looking for. And if you're negotiating, then you can consent to it, and that yeah. makes it okay. Yeah, at least come to some common ground. Hello. Well, you know, I, I think one of the issues that comes up often, particularly with newer players, is they've had their fantasy that they've been getting off to since they were however old. If that fantasy includes negotiation and consent, I'm very surprised to hear that because most people don't. Um, The fantasy is of the big bad top or dom that will waltz right in and do exactly the things you want them to because it's your fucking fantasy. (laughs) Or it's of the infinitely adapting and accepting sub because it's your fantasy. So when someone who's fairly new to the scene starts to play, it's very easy to make the mistake of saying, I will do anything you want me to, or you will do anything I want you to, and have it come out just the way it did in their fantasy is not going to happen. When I first started playing, which was three decades plus ago, and at the time I had no access to the body of writing about kink because there wasn't much then, Mm -hmm. and I was living in a city that was too small to have all the classes and workshops we have now. And I thought that BDSM, except it was called SM back then, meant spanking, because in my head it did. 
And so when I first started finding play partners, I assumed that we were on the same page. Oh. And that if and we were going to spank and that's all. Yeah. 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 Because that was what happened in my fantasies. Sure. And I had no way of knowing that they had entirely different fantasies that still counted as BDSM, but were different from mine. Right. So there's a real, you must be this tall to ride this ride, I think, <laughs> and where I see it going wrong a lot is a newbie waltzes into the community right. and immediately picks out the biggest, baddest Dom they can find. Yeah, I would. Um, I did that. Yeah, everybody does. <laughs> I was uh, like, unless okay, they're very lucky. I'm ready. Like, I'm totally ready. I'm, I'm going gonna, gonna to jump right into the deep end. And I yeah. want to try yep. everything. So this is the... And, and then they get... Annihilated, and you're like, "This is not this safe. I am not doing this." Holy Uh, smokes! Everything is that. Everything is this. Holy smokes! Yeah, Yeah, I would definitely advise both new tops and you know new dominance tops, new submissives, and new bottoms to take a breath and to recognize that you are entering (sighs) a new world that you will probably, if you choose to, could be in for the rest of your life, and you have time. You have time to actually nibble like a smorgasbord, to nibble a little this, nibble a little that. Just taste it. You don't have to, you you know, just pick one dish and dive, put your face in it. (laughs) As if it were a banana pie. And just drown in that dish because you might decide, you might discover you're allergic. (laughs) So, um, you know, and there really, there are, one of the cool (laughs) things. Now you have a skin rash. Now you have a skin rash. One of the, or herpes. You know, one of the things. (laughs) Oh, And just, and one of the things that I should, and now warning, please, please, please be super, super careful of this if you're a submissive or a a bottom is so many rapes have happened because women have gone to either privately or a party and allowed themselves to be tied up or cuffed. So you have to get the visual that once you are tied or once you are cuffed, you are in effect powerless and someone can non-consensually rape you. And the fact that you've negotiated to not have penetrative sex or to not have your genitals touched could go out the window. So please, 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 with until you know someone, until you've vetted someone, don't let them tie you up. Don't yeah. let them cuff you. And even in a public play space, <laughs> what can happen is that I've heard many women say this is public play spaces, which are like sex parties and dungeons, they will have somebody who's actually monitoring the room to make sure a dungeon I was just, I was just they a... will have somebody. But yeah. and then they'll and if you say safe word, if you call out and say safe word, the dungeon monitor will, will come, come over. over. But what happens yeah. is these women, you know, you could be gagged, it could also be a thing, or they right. could just be in sort of a, a little bit of a, a sub trance. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it's like you're it's kind and of a trancey state. But and so not yes. they they don't they might say no or they might not say anything. But later they're like, you crossed my boundaries. We literally negotiated that this was not okay. But then when I tell them, will you go to the dungeon monitor? Will you go to the party host and talk about it? They feel too embarrassed. They're like, well, I didn't say. I don't want to rock the boat. I I don't want to be the person that breaks the party. Right. Or I didn't say no. Like they take too much responsibility. For them themselves. And I just. And victim blaming that's. And so I just want to say, if you negotiated. If you and this is this is a standard in the community. If you negotiate, you can spank me. That's all you can do, and you cannot fuck me, and you cannot slap me, and you can't like what I'm negotiating is for spanking, 
and my top or my dominant decides on the inspirational moment that they're going to flog me or they're going to choke me or they're going to do something else because they were inspired or bite me, that is actually crossing my negotiated boundaries and I am not at fault for it and I do get to talk about it. It is not okay. And just because I'm turned on, okay, this is really important. Someone else's pheromones lubrication or erection doesn't mean they're does it yes doesn't mean a yes and right. i've had men i've been with partners even that have had a we've been making out or whatever they get a beautiful erection and i say hey baby Arousal how about it and they say no they go you know yeah. i'm actually not in the mood and that's their right the mere yeah, fact that someone has arousal does not give me a right to use their body for my pleasure without consent. Well, believe it or not, I, you know, go, guys will say this all the time, and I know it's the comedian coming out at me, but yeah, believe it or not, it doesn't have a mind of it. It has its it mind of it. it <laughs> I mean, you know, it does it, have it its does, but it, it's, yeah, it's its own entity. Mind. You know, <laughs> It's a roommate <laughs> that never listens that, to me. That your, your real <laughs> acceptance of what you want for your life is a yes for sex. Right. Yeah. And it can, it can go either way where... Yeah. I think of the intuitive phallus where I've had men say, I find that I can't always get an erection. And then when we unpack that, I'm like, well, you didn't actually trust that person. You didn't feel safe with that person. Your beautiful phallus was letting you know, don't go there. No, don't (laughs) go there. You don't actually want to go there. Now, the converse can happen is that sometimes the phallus can be, and and this is true for women too, the the vulva or the phallus can be what I call cross-wired. And what I mean by that, and I'll own this for a moment, is it's a, there's part of the psyche's survival system is to eroticize childhood trauma. So if I had certain childhood trauma in order to survive it, it actually has an erotic flavor for me. And the eroticism of rape fantasy. Okay, so that is huge. So at one point in my life, I woke up and I recognized, this was actually sadly extremely recent, and I woke up and I realized that there, I had these beautiful men in my life who just adored me and I was running away from them like they were predators and that I was actually drawn to the men who were predators because hashtag childhood trauma. And I went, oh my God, I've been cross-wired. And the men who actually are the nicest feel uncomfortable to me and I've been because collapsing. Because you were uncomfortable with the intimacy. Because, yeah. But it's unknown. It's uncomfortable because it's unknown. And yeah. I was collapsing uncomfortable with unsafe. Yeah. And I hear that a lot in the culture today. People will say, you make me unsafe without owning what I'm feeling is uncomfortable yeah. And there might be something here to look at. So when I looked at it and I went, oh, I'm uncomfortable because it's unknown. I actually went back to some men in my life and I said, you really love me. And they're like, yeah, you would love me whether or not I have sex with you. Yeah. You'd like to have sex with me. Yeah. And you're willing to let me have the pacing that has me feel safe. Yeah. I said, we should actually start dating. <laughs> because I, it, I've been running away from you this whole time, and I don't even know what that was about. Yeah, it was about but trauma. I, I think that the culture has some contribution to that as well. If you look at our romantic comedies or our great love dramas, what we see played out over and over again is the man who doesn't give up. That chases you to no the airport an and makes you talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, seriously, uh, it's what, a thing. Right. Yeah, Not that's taking what we no were brought up to be turned on yeah. to is the guy who predates he, yeah. he the pushy salesman he, he, he yeah. does not care whether we think it's okay or not he keeps on trying until yeah. we think it's okay mm-hmm. and yeah. i just want to say everything is fine with consent so if yeah. i have a partner 
that let's say this guy's my friend and I really trust him, but I'm wanting to feel that dopamine, which is anticipation yeah, and reward. Absolutely. And I'm wanting to feel ad- adrenaline, which is a sense of excitement or risk. And I want that feeling. So what I can say is to my partner, let's create a scenario where we're meeting as strangers at the bar. Yes. And and I'm just going to walk in like I don't know you. And then I want you to kind of be following me around. I want you to be say these types of things, but I'm not going to give you an exact script. And then if I need to safe word, I will. But then I can create this whole fantasy that could really work. And maybe we're going to have public sex in a doorway and it's yeah. all fine, but it's with consent. It's that's makes, it's the difference between replicating trauma and actually all good fun mm-hmm. is consent. Amen. So that that kind of play gets shorthanded as resistance play a lot. The name of the game is for the top or the dumb to push past resistance. And it really does require some special agreements, I think. In the bottoming book, Dossie outlined three agreements for resistance play. And the big one, the first one is, if I push back, that means I'm consenting. If I'm not consenting, I will say for it. So if I'm pushing back against you, you keep going. Feel free to aggress. Ooh, tasty. If I'm not pushing back or if I safe word, that means I'm really done. Oh, go ahead. For, for I'm those sorry, of Janet. us who like to play against resistance, which I do, both as a top and as a bottom, mm-hmm. it's really important to have that agreement in place so that I know I'm not flopping over into non-consent, right. that the resistance is part of the game and not, not wrong. I love that. I love that. I just have this strange sidebar thought altogether. We mentioned that people could tweet, right? Yes. Mention yes, that? absolutely. Are we checking our tweeting? I am checking. I'm watching my watch. Okay. okay. Awesome. <laughs> just wanted to check. So, one other point I wanted in. to make that's actually skipping back a few minutes, Skip but when it. Francesca was talking about the risks of allowing yourself to be tied up during play with someone you don't know well, I would add to that a lot of the issues I've been hearing of consent violations have to do with the use of intoxicants. Mm-hmm. And if Hello, you, dampening your cerebral cortex. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's almost like allowing yourself to be tied up or gagged to allow yourself or to in- intentionally alter your consciousness before you go into the scene because it muddies the edges of consent a lot. And you will do things if you are drunk or stoned or high or whatever you are that you might not choose to do otherwise. And that the aftermath of a thing like that can be really difficult for all concerned. I'm so glad you brought that up because I just want to take a breath with that one too, because it's really big. Remember, we started earlier in the show talking about the masks we wear and that we pretend that we have it together. We pretend that we feel confident. We pretend that we're convinced of our own attractiveness because we're trying to get some goodies in life. But underneath that is often still the sense of feeling not worthy, the sense of wondering if we're really loved or desired, the sense of insecurity that may go all the way back to like middle school or younger. And just by the way, hashtag this is all of us. So if you're yes. listening to this and you're thinking, I'm shy or I'm insecure or people, if people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. Honey, everybody feels that way. Everybody. I'm even, even the coolest person that you look at and go, well, that person right. who was so popular in school or that person who has the perfect they body, wounded too. they're wounded too. And so yeah. if we can start to understand, and the Buddhists say that we actually deepen into connection or communion when we understand that life is interwoven with suffering and every human being carries suffering. Amen. 
Amen. When we start to understand that, what this means is that I can start to risk being courageously vulnerable, and it is the greatest courage in the world to be courageously vulnerable rather than to use some intoxicant to break through how shy or insecure I feel about myself, that I actually prefer if someone says I'm feeling a little nervous now, or I'm feeling a little anxious, or I'm, you know, I'm really attracted to you, and I kind of feel uh, like I'm stumbling around in what I'm saying, you know, that actually we can take that breath together and I can go, you know, I can feel that way too, or maybe I feel that way right now. And now we're connecting as real human beings rather than masks. And when we do that, we don't need intoxicants. We can actually deepen our true connection rather than using something to achieve a false sense of connection. Amen. I think that if people who know each other well, read each other's signals, et cetera, et cetera, all the things we've been talking about, if they choose consciously to involve intoxicants in a scene, understanding that it raises the risk of the scene exponentially, Mm. uh, if Mm. they choose that, then, you know. Cool. It's they, they've chosen it. They're willing to take the totally. the risk of something going wrong because it's important to them to have this experience. Mm. I'm not scolding people for choosing to uh, alter their consciousness when they play, but I do think it raises the risks. I think we too often talk about risk and consent as though they were binary, where in fact what you're dealing with is a certainty field. If you want to be really certain that consent is there, you do this, this, and this, and those are the rules we give out to new people. And then as you know each other better, as you get more experienced, you might be willing to take more risks with the knowledge that sometimes that doesn't pan out. I think think that's brilliant, Janet, and I align with Janet in this. I am not against what I would call the conscious use of substances that can expand or alter some of our sense of self or and that consensus doesn't reality. Just alcohol. <laughs> and so I am not yeah. against that at all. What I am for is for safety and reduction of risk and increased consciousness. Consciousness particularly so, though. So for me personally, yeah. I don't use substances with strangers. I don't use substances oh, to party. Yeah. <laughs> I don't use substances to start to feel more comfortable at a party or to be more in my body. I want to know when I am just getting to know you, I want to know that everything I'm doing with you, I am doing consciously and at choice. If I want to fuck you, I'll fuck you. If I want to dance naked for you, I'll dance naked for you. Well, and if you my know. body's feeling this way, and, right? Right. Yeah. And if, I, if I'm if i feeling this way, then I'm feeling this way. It's not because of the booze or I smoked a joint or whatever the deal is. This is all natural. Mm-hmm. And this is important too. Consent with myself. Mm-hmm. Ooh. It's consent yeah. between me, a healthy, loving, trusting relationship with myself. As a child, children are inherently powerless and trapped. So yeah. inherently, we live in a dominator model culture, hierarchical authority, do what I say because I'm your parent, do it because I said so. And children are just automatically powerless and trapped. They're in a non-consensual dominance and submission relationship. But as an adult in a first world country, in many ways, I'm inherently free. I may not want to leave this job, but I could. I might not want to leave this relationship, but I could. I'm not going to be killed because if Paul and I were a couple, I want to divorce him. I'm not going to be stoned. I have freedom. And as an adult in a first world country, if I forget that I am empowered and free, I've been kidnapped by my inner child unconsciously. So anytime I 
feel, I perceive that I'm trapped and powerless, unless somebody's actually tied me up non-consensually. <laughs> if I perceive that I'm trapped and powerless, I have a mantra that says, oh, wait, I've been kidnapped by a younger self that still thinks it's trapped in childhood. I'm an uh, adult and I am powerful and free. Maybe I can and, free that part of myself. And then what yeah. I'm rebuilding is trust in myself. As a child, I broke trust with myself. I had to. I had to lie about what I felt, what I wanted, what I didn't want. I had to hide my authentic self to survive my family or my culture. But as an adult, it is my job to recover, discover, uncover who I truly am and rebuild that trust with me and say, I am taking care of you now. You are safe with me, meaning between me and me. And that's the foundation for any other type of healthy relationship that I might try to have. I mean, moving forward, right? You need to be okay with you. A lot of the stuff we talk about, a lot of people have had past trauma. We've talked about that. And and it's a lot of rewiring because you're kind of unlearning what you've learned through all these years, right? Depending on how long this, right. Or let's not forget cultural trauma. Or how how long this awakening has taken some people years. Some people haven't even really touched on upon it until they come into these scenes with people and really uncover these things. And it's funny because these past traumas, sometimes when you're uncovering that feeling, it almost feels like home. Right. You're feeling like, okay, this is safe, but this is really not safe. This is, I'm going back to the same old bad stuff. I got to change this. It worked last time, so it must work again, right? Right. (laughs) It feels familiar. Like if we look at the root of the word familiar, it's actually family. Right. The root of it is family. Right. So, you know, you get to look at your family. Do you really want things to feel familiar? (laughs) (laughs) Not when I'm in the bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. Uh, So we're looking at, you know, I think today we're looking at our, at our show today is like, how do we bring consciousness? Now we can bring fun, we can bring pleasure, but how do we do this in a way that's conscious that creates the greatest opportunity to become more of ourselves in the best way possible? Like, what do you think, Janet, is something that you most celebrate about your journey in BDSM? Like what you've discovered? The freedom to journey inside my own consciousness, to not set off parts of it with fences that have big no trespassing signs on it. It's all there for me to explore. Mm. And I have the tools to do that. And I have the tools to come back after Mm. doing that. Beautiful. So I'm not as afraid of myself anymore. I also want to ask you about your latest book, Impervious, because, I mean, what a delicious name, Impervious. I mean, it's both about being perverted and strong. Amen, sister. Thank you. Yeah, it's also, this is late in the show to be bringing this up, but one of the things that has greatly affected my life is when Dossie and I were working on Radical Ecstasy together and taking Tantra classes, I had what I now understand to be a Kundalini awakening, which was enormous and changed my life permanently in ways that in some ways I'm happy about and in some ways I'm not happy about. But it's a caution that I think perhaps does not get attached as often as it ought to, to this kind of ecstatic journeying, is that you don't always have have hold of the steering wheel. <laughs> when, you, when you go into ecstatic states, it may take you into places that shift everything. It's like shifting the uh, center of gravity of your personal planet. It's going to change your orbit in ways that you can't predict. And I think that 
we are perhaps not doing our job as educators when we don't recognize that when it's happening, which is what happened to me with my Tantra teacher, and when we don't prepare people for the possibility. Hmm. Janet, I often say, it's right on my FetLife page, if you want to remain who you are right now, who you think you are right now, run. Yeah. Run yeah. screaming. Well, run life now. is change. Hello. Yeah. Like, that's if, the only if, constant that anyone has ever been agreed to. Yeah. And if you want to die to who you think you are, so mm-hmm. you can become who you're meant to be, I could yeah. be your best friend. But I think that warning, and it says, and now a warning. <laughs> you know, and now a warning. If you want things to stay the same, don't That's go down this t- these tunnels. Yeah. <laughs> don't knock on yeah, my door. You're, you're going to turn up mud. The mud is going to have worms in it, and it's not going to settle in the same pattern than oh. it did before you turned it and up. And that's exciting because I yes. think Jan and I both agree that we're more of who we are and who we're meant to be today, that we're fuller and richer and more self-trusting and trusting in the world because of these journeys that we've been through. I'm going to add a caveat to that, Mm -hmm. Francesca. There are some ways in which I'm not happy with the changes that it made in my life. There's a reason why I don't play much anymore. I am almost entirely celibate these days. It took me into a place of lack of control over myself that I've never fully recovered from. Mm. I don't want to be a cheerleader for this. I think ecstatic states can be astonishing, but I think one of the things we neglect when we talk about ecstasy is that it does not necessarily mean pleasure. If you look up the definition of ecstasy in the dictionary, it will tell you it's a state of being beyond reason and control. Mm -hmm. I don't hear anything in there about pleasure. Sometimes it can be an ecstasy of rage. Sometimes it can be an ecstasy of fear or sadness or grief or whatever is fighting to find its way to the top. Bubble its way to the surface. Yeah. Yeah, no it's warning. not like you go into it thinking, oh, cool, I'm going to change and I'm happy with that. Because it's, it's kind of like when you're first negotiating a scene, what, what the change looks like may not be what you imagined it will look like. Beautiful. Thank you for that, the dark and the light of it. And it's been so yeah. great to spend time with you all. Yeah, I'm so glad to really introduce Janet and Francesca to each other. I mean, great minds getting together, having a beautiful conversation. I mean, I feel <laughs> like this is what I live for. This is what Sexploration with Monica is all about. Ah! Oh, yay. And it's so, been a, it's been a gr- to give service. Yeah, exactly. Janet, I want you to talk about your upcoming projects, what you're working on now. What are you doing next? I've just come through some enormous life changes. I lost my father earlier this year, which released some money into my Mm. life. So I just moved. This year has just been Looney Tunes. Mm. Uh, So I haven't had my fingers on the keyboard for far too long and I'm feeling it. Oh, you're missing writing. This month is the first time I've felt like I can actually sit at the keyboard and work again. But before all that happened, I was working on an essay about my father's death because my dad was diagnosed with cancer and chose to take advantage of the excellent death with dignity law up in Washington state. Mm. So he chose to end his life legally and consciously. I was there during that. And, you know, talk about your altered states. Yeah, (laughs) Death is the ultimate altered state. It was magnificent to watch. It was difficult to watch. I... I I could talk about it at some length. Anyway, I'm working on an essay. What I'm hoping to do with the essay when it's done, which may not be anytime soon, I find I have to limit the time that I work on it because it is difficult. Um, Yeah, and how would people get a hold of you, honey? Yeah, I was going to say, how do we get everything Janet Hardy? How do we keep up with you? (laughs) If I were the kind of person who maintained my website, which unfortunately I'm not, but you can look on JanetWHardy.com, and occasionally I will post an update. 
But my, my hope with the essay is I would like to use it as the opening piece of an anthology of people who have done death with dignity for a loved one, writing about their experience. And then I'm imagining they can Google Janet Hardy, Janet yes. H-A-R-D-Y, and she's going to have yep. amazing things in books and find her, track her down. You can be a wonderful fan of her. And then I just want to say, if you want to get a hold of me, it's Francesca, Francesca Gentile, dot com. And Francesca, F-R-A-N-C-E-S-C-A. And there's lots of luscious stuff and free content for you as well. Just reach out and follow me on Facebook, too. SexplorationWithMonica.com. I love it hanging out. Myself and Brandon Ray. Brandon, we can keep up with you on your modeling page, correct? Yes, you can. Brandon Ray Brumbaugh on Facebook. Myself. Keep standing up, San Francisco. Janet Hardy, Francesca Gentili, Brandon Ray Brumbaugh. Yes. Thank you so <laughs> much. And Sexploration with Monica. Guys. Kisses all over. So delicious. You can subscribe to Sexploration with Monica on iTunes and have new episodes delivered automatically. Or download free podcasts at sexplorationwithmonica.com.